Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and I'm pumped for this interview. We have Spencer Hawes, really my mentor from afar when I got started in 2013. And I think I read all the blog posts you had out at the time, listened to all your podcasts. So you are, even though we haven't met in person, you really are like a mentor from afar. And we're going to talk today about a year-long project that you've worked on for Niche Pursuits, which is pretty cool. And I want to welcome you today. How's it going? It's going good. Thanks, Doug. It's good to be on the show. I'm excited to share everything with your audience. And uh, yeah, talk about a fun uh, website project that I've been working on. I've interviewed you before. You have a lot of other content. But for the people that don't know you at all, can you give like a minute or a minute and a half intro of who you are and what you're doing right now? Yeah. So I am the founder blogger at uh, nichepursuits.com. And I've had that blog for, well, since 2011. So whatever that is when you're listening, you know, 12 years, something like that. Before I started nichepursuits.com, I was building lots of little niche websites. And those little niche websites led me to make enough money to quit my job. I was a business banker in a former life, right? And then I was making, you know, enough to quit my job or, you know, $10,000 a month or whatever at the time. And uh, so I quit my job in 2011, and that's when I started NichePursuits.com to talk about, hey, I build these niche websites and uh, and uh, you know other side hustle things that that I'm doing. I've also created a couple software tools along the way. So it, in 2011, I created Longtail Pro, keyword research tool that uh, I built up and sold in 2016, and uh, I now have a software tool called Link Whisper. It's an internal link building tool that I launched in 2019. So it's about three years old and that is doing really well. And then I'm a partner in a number of other businesses like motioninvest.com, originality.ai, and recently invested in a hosting company called Iridium Hosting. And so though I have a lot of things going on, but where I spend most of my time business-wise is nichepursuits.com and uh, Link Whisper. And then outside of that, I'm a family man. I got four kids. I'm currently training for the Boston Marathon. I was accepted to run that in April. And so I'm right in the midst of my training program and do lots of stuff outside of business, but that's me in a one to two minute nutshell. Perfect. And I'm just curious, so you do have a lot of like business ventures right now that you have to fit in between your training runs and your long days. (laughs) How many hours a week do you work? Would you say? Not that many, probably not as many as maybe people would think. I get up send my kid off to school, my youngest to at 8.30. So I work from about 8.30 to noon. Then I take an hour long lunch break where I don't do any work. Then I work from about 1 to 3.30 when the kids get home from school. So what is that? Maybe six hours in a day. And Fridays are usually shorter and I do not work weekends. I don't, you know, so if you email me on a Friday afternoon, you won't hear tell me from me until probably Monday afternoon. So, so, you know, maybe 30-ish hours a week. Okay. Yeah, it's not really too bad and kind of ideal. I would, so you, you have a short day on Friday. Do you take a lot of time off during the year as well? Like maybe a month off or something like that? Yeah, we typically over the summers, I'm very hit and miss, right? We'll go on vacation for two or three weeks at a time and do a couple of those over the summer, you know, so definitely working a lot less over the summer when kids are off school. Okay. And we'll take the rest offline. I'm always thinking about what we do when we're not working, which is a lot more fun to talk about sometimes. But today we're going to talk about niche pursuits and the huge growth that you saw. So I want to jump right in to results. So can you let us know the results in terms of like 
traffic, maybe revenue growth, any other like pure metrics where we can get our head around exactly what you were able to do? Yeah. So the big headline is that I grew the traffic in 12 months from Google. The Google traffic grew by 585%. So the amount of traffic I was getting from Google in December, 2021 to the amount of traffic I was getting December, 2022, which was last month, was a growth of 585%. In total, my traffic went from about two to 3,000 visitors a day to now 15 to 16,000 visitors a day and sometimes more, right? Sometimes it's hitting 20 or 21,000, but average is maybe 15, 16,000 sessions a day overall. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the big metrics, the big traffic growth. So, that, you know, 5X to the traffic overall, essentially, which is huge. Amazing. Yeah. And it's not like you were starting with a small amount of traffic. That was a pretty good amount of traffic in our sort of industry. Like the, some of the numbers right. aren't as big as like a sort of like a site that has general traffic, just informational, like random stuff. This is pretty specific, kind of high ad revenue, very valuable traffic, I would say. So yep. you talked about traffic. Can you talk about earnings or percentage of earnings or you know whatever you're able to share here really? Yeah. So I, I will share that I just recently put display ads on the site. So I'm with Mediavine. I put Mediavine, you know, so my site starts getting over 10,000, 15,000 visitors a day. I'm like, there's a lot of articles that really aren't making money unless I had ads on them. So I put the display ads, media vine on my site less than a month, eh, maybe about a month ago, right? So I have about a month worth of data and it's currently pulling in about $500 a day just in media vine ads. And that varies. It, you know, over the last month, it's probably been between $400 to $500 a day. RPMs are starting to go up more because they're really low. And so, yeah over $500 a day the last couple of days. And that's just display. My site also makes money, of course, with affiliate revenue and uh, you know email list, right? In the past, I've sold email sponsorships. I, of course, make money doing promotions to my email list. But the big one is really these other partnerships and products that I own, right? Link Whisper, other partnerships that I have, Motion Invest, Originality.ai, things like that bring in more revenue. So I will just say that the display ad revenue is the smallest source of revenue okay. uh, for the site. And I'll ask one more probing question just to see from a percentage standpoint. I mean, I know you're doing marketing from different channels for mm -hmm. those business pieces and other business owners out there know if you're selling your own product, like that's where the real money is. The margins are so much higher. You own the asset as well. So like from a percentage standpoint, can you tell us anything about that? I will share, and I don't blame you for asking. These are the answers people want to hear. Let me see what I will share. I will just say the display ads are less than I make on affiliate income, right? Through niche pursuits. And uh, this is maybe sharing too much. I'll, maybe I'll just say that I, as a whole, if you combine affiliate revenue, display ads for niche pursuits, I make more than that with my partnerships. Okay. Thank you for indulging us. And I think, you know, people can put some ideas together and make their own assumptions. And when I say partnerships, I should say in my own products plus partnership, you know, those right. Link Whisper, Motion Invest, Originality, Iridium Hosting, all those things I mentioned. Right? Cool. Well, thank you for sharing that portion of it. Very interesting, especially like you have a pretty mature business model and really like, you know, media company, because you mentioned email as well. Yes. 
that probably has grown quite a bit along the way. So let's start getting into how you actually did this. And part of that is the starting point. And your blog's been around for a while. At some point, it becomes really hard to maintain a website. We're talking about updating old content, getting rid of things that are irrelevant. Things just kind of, you know, get cluttered. We hoard information. So where were you starting and what did you have to do to even analyze how to clean things up? Yeah, my site is a little bit unique, although there's maybe some listeners that have a similar site, a blog that they've had for a really long time. Niche Pursuits really started as a personal blog. I didn't come into it as this is an SEO strategy. I'm going to only write articles that are keyword focused for the first several years is really just I didn't look at it as a way to make money. It was just a way to connect with other online entrepreneurs because I just quit my job. I was like, man, I'm going to share this stuff. Maybe there's other people that are interested. I'd love to just connect with them socially, right? So that's really kind of how it started. And so I did a lot of income reports, a lot of here's my plans for next week. You know, here's a weekend trip I took with my family. Here's pictures. A lot of it was very much a personal blog, not thinking about longevity. And so now when I look back, it's 12 years old. There's a lot of that content that just nobody looks at anymore. Nobody really cares about my income update from 2011, right? You know, from March, 2011, you know, who cares, right? Doesn't get any traffic, doesn't have any links, isn't really important. And so I deleted a lot of that type of content. So I I decided to clean house, look at the site overall and go, okay, what is content that is either getting traffic, if it's getting maybe 10 visitors a month even, then maybe it's worth keeping. Okay. But if it's getting, you know, zero or one a month, right? Like if it's getting very little traffic and it has no links and it doesn't have any sentimental value to me, sometimes there's posts I wrote that just cause I had to keep it. If it sort of met those three, three criteria, I deleted it, right? And got rid of it. But if it had valuable links, I maybe kept it or maybe didn't keep it, but deleted it and 301 redirected right? To point the links to a better page, right? So I looked at all of that. And so I removed, I don't know how many, but well over a hundred blog posts um, that just got rid of that. And then I had to think about, okay, what's going to be the strategy going forward? If I want to just only produce evergreen content, I needed to create some new categories, remove some categories, right? I no longer needed that income report or whatever category I had. Instead, I you know created some that I felt like I would be producing a lot of content. So I did a big picture overview of like, what do I get rid of? Where's the new direction? What type of content should I be producing? What gaps can I fill? Content gaps can I fill that, hey, maybe I talked about side hustles a little bit, but Google sending me traffic about side hustle stuff. Let's write a lot more side hustles, right? And so I knew I needed to expand. So so that helped me figure out what my content plan would be going forward. And I don't know how deep you want to dive into this, but there, there's a lot that goes into, yeah, doing the 301 redirects, deleting content, fixing broken links, um, you know, restructuring internal links. You know, I had a lot of articles that I even had a guest post that for whatever reason I noticed throughout the year that as I hired authors to write that they were building a lot of internal links to this guest post that I was never trying to rank in Google in the first place. And so I had to do some analysis and look, okay, this says 30 internal links pointing to it. 
let's just remove all those links. Like I don't, I'm not trying to rank that article in Google. Interesting. Do you know why they were doing, was it a good title or something? Yeah, it was a good title, you know, that was related to like white hat link building. Right. So I think they just saw that like, oh yeah, I mentioned link building. So I'm going to, you know, when you kind of give authors free reign, sometimes they just build links to articles that maybe they shouldn't. Got it. Okay. So a lot of cleanup, you had to take a look and see what was out there. Some things were completely irrelevant. Some things pulled on your heartstrings and you were like, I'm going to leave it out there. How many of those were there? Just a handful or something? Yeah. I don't remember how many, but definitely, you know, half a dozen at least, and maybe a dozen just articles I wrote that nobody reads anymore, but they're still there. Do you happen to remember like just one of the titles? I'm just curious, like what those might be. There's one that that's called, I got, what's it called? It's called, I got scammed online. And it's a story about somebody scamming me. You know, I lost, I lost, I sent somebody some money to build a YouTube channel or something. And so I wrote this article and it's just sort of a silly story that I write in a very lighthearted manner. So that's one I kept. And there's definitely a few others, but I don't know if I can remember the titles. Okay. That's okay. Okay. So you have sort of a new direction forward. I suspect there was a decent amount of content that was topic-wise okay, but maybe out of date. So how did you address that content that needed to be updated? Yeah. So I exported all of that content. I exported all of my content from Google Analytics to see how much traffic it was getting, the data was published. And then I went through process to, to address it and update it. So I basically looked at the articles that maybe were old, but that were still getting good traffic. I started with the highest trafficked articles first and then would go through an update. Then I looked at articles that felt like they had a lot of opportunity, right? That maybe were not getting very much traffic or were on the second page of Google, for example. So I started to look at Google Search Console. Where is this article ranking? Where are, a key, are its keywords? And yes, if it's like five, six, seven years old, there could be a lot of up that could be done to that content. So I started in those two places. Traffic was one opportunity was the other, and uh, then just started going through and updating a ton of content. Throughout the year, my team and I, we updated about 119 articles in 2022. 119. Okay. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue. What's the team look like? How many people? What's the structure? So I hired quite a few authors. I don't know the exact number that I hired throughout the year, but well over 20, you know, call it 25 maybe 30 authors and not all of them stick around, right? You hire an author, they write one article and you're like, we're going to let you go. Others stick around for longer. So call it roughly 20 authors. And some of those, I have two editors. One is a senior editor and he helps a little bit more with the process flow to make sure everything's moving smoothly, kind of manages the other writers for me. And then I have a graphic designer. So we, the author, uh, you know, writes the article, the editor does the editing, the senior editor approves and publishes, but the graphic designer will create a featured blog post image, right? For each of the articles or anything else that's needed. Those are uploaded and uh, published. So I think that's the team that's in place right now. Okay. So 25 to 30 writers, two editors, one senior and one graphic designer. Yeah. So are the two editors and graphic designer pretty much full-time? The senior editor is full-time. Nobody else is full-time. Okay. 
Where did you hire the writers from? A few different places. Pro blogger job boards. I definitely got a few from there. Upwork. Got some from there. Groups. There's just a, several different Facebook groups that you can go to to find writers. Those are the pr three primary sources where I find, found all the writers. Did you or have you reached out to your email list? You have a you know big email list, and I know some people you know they only hire from people in the audience because they kind of understand where you're coming from. They know a little bit about you. Yeah. Yep. I have. That's where I hired my editors. Editors, the senior editor came from my audience, emailing out to my list. Okay. Can you talk about how much you pay the writers? Sure. They're paid anywhere from, I'm trying to think, I think the low end is seven cents a word up to around 12 cents a word. Okay. Okay. So pretty kind of on the higher end, but we're talking usually marketing and business topics. So they need to be a little bit aware of the industry, right? Yep. Yep. Definitely. And kind of information do they get to write the content? So you have some topic identified, you've probably done the keyword research or at least, you know, closely watching that pretty closely. So then what happens after you have a title? Okay. So process is you're right. I do the keyword research. I have a big spreadsheet where I've just dumped in, call it a few hundred keywords. The authors all have access to that Google spreadsheet. They go in, they self-assign up to three keywords to themselves. So once I do the keyword research and put in the spreadsheet, I'm essentially done. Then I'll explain the process that takes over. So the author self-assign next to the keyword that they want to do that. They then create a Trello card to start the process. They request a surfer SEO link, right? And where it, the VA or senior editor will go to surfer SEO, sort of get them a link that gives them a brief of here's all the keywords they need to mention. Here's roughly how long the article should be. When the author looks at that, they then create an outline and they write that outline in the Trello card. And then that outline gets approved by the senior editor before they start writing the article. So we then move that card once it's approved to, you know, write the article. So we do a lot of feedback in that outline phase to make sure they're really nailing this article, right? Like, eh, I think you should not even mention this, or you should beef up this section, or you didn't think about these three things, or we should monetize it with this. So add a section for this, right? So, so that outline phase is very critical. Um, and then move it to, to write the article. The author writes the article and then that gets moved. The card get, gets moved over to the editor. The editor goes in and does all the editing and maybe minor formatting. The authors, the best authors require no editing and formatting. Right. They're all trained. They write the article directly in WordPress. They know how to add buttons and links and images. So the authors should be doing all of that. The editors are really just reviewing to make sure that's done. Maybe add some extra, you know, affiliate links or other things. And then once it's, I guess before it's edited is where the graphic designer gets put to a Trello card where the graphic designer creates a featured blog image. Then the graphic designer moves it to final review. And then the editor hits publish. And after the editor hits publish, the, the senior editor builds or I builds internal links to that brand new article using Link Whisper, of course, to make sure we don't have any orphan post. And that's sort of the end of the process. The author then goes back to that original Google spreadsheet. They take that keyword that they just finished writing once it got published. And they move it over to a completed tab. So we know that article's done. 
And we're only left with the keywords that still need to be tackled on that spreadsheet. Okay. And pretty tight process. How long, actually, give me a time range. Let's say a writer gets a hold of it. They've self-assigned an article. They get started on it. Some are going to be faster, slower, but what's a range for they got started and then it's published? For some, it's a couple days, right? It's pretty quick. It all just depends on how quick they write it usually. That's, you know, they're usually not waiting on anything else. Others, gosh, typical is probably two to 10 days. Okay. Right. For an article. That's probably typical. Some are just slow when they write one article a month and it takes them 30 days, right? Okay. And that's, but they do a great job. So we keep the author, right? And so it a, just, it varies. Yeah. And with the pool of writers, it's a little bit less critical. So uh, different timeframes are okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we, we've got lots of articles in process all the time, right? Like we're publishing like three articles a day, sometimes, right? Two to three articles a day, right? So there's always probably, I could probably pull up my Trello board right now, but call it like 20 articles in process at some stage of the game at all times. Great. And you have SOPs for this, which I know you actually have a way to share this with people. So we'll link up. Is there anything else you could add to like the general SOPs so people can check it out or know what to expect when they do? Yeah, people can get access to a spreadsheet that I mentioned. And what's important about that spreadsheet is sort of the first tab is a whole long list of instructions that I've given authors, right? So if people download my SOPs, they can get that sort of list of instructions. They'll want to tweak it for their own site, of course, but that's like, call it the Bible of writing content on niche pursuits is like, you make sure you follow these 20 points, right? For tone of voice and how you format and everything else. So that's all written down in the instructions. That would maybe be the only thing that I would mention. And so, yeah, if people, it's, maybe we'll have a pretty link or something, but it's nichepursuits.com slash content creation SOP, all with a dash in the word. So content dash creation dash SOP. But yeah, there'll be a link in the show notes. People can download that. They get access to a Trello board template that we follow, the Google spreadsheet, you know, and that whole workflow they can customize for their own website. Perfect. Okay. And you did tell us seven to 12 cents per word, 20 articles um, kind of in progress, probably mm-hmm. at any given day. How, what's the burn rate like per month? Can you tell us that? I mean, we could extrapolate it out if we. Yeah, I may to. let people extrapolate okay. that, but uh, you know, most of the articles are a little longer, right? Because of the niche that I'm in. So we're not pumping out thousand word articles, right? That would be really short for this particular niche, right? So most articles are two, two to 3,000 words almost. Call it maybe, you know, yeah, 2,500 words is maybe an average article, right? And uh, I don't think I said the specific number, but uh, my, my goal last year was to publish a thousand blog posts. I felt just short of that, published 878 articles. So I'll let people do the math that, cause Honestly, I don't know if I could give you the exact math of what that was, but they can get a rough idea of what that would cost. Great. Yeah, it's funny. I asked the question, but I know like when I spend in my business, I'm like, I have a handle of like some of the granular pieces. But if you ask for the aggregate, I'm like, I'm not really sure. I'd have to take a look at the report. I'd have to consult my spreadsheet. Exactly. Okay. But yeah, people can get an idea. They can do the math backwards. So there's a considerable investment that you put into it. Great. Yep. 
All right. I'm curious with a graphic designer, how much instruction do you give them? Were they pretty experienced? Do they work closely with the editor, that kind of thing? They're, they have a little bit of experience in, in graphic design. They're, uh, this person, I would call more of a general VA with a somewhat experienced in graphic design. So this is not a crazy experienced graphic designer. They're just in Canva. I mean, people go to nichepursuits.com. You can see the featured images that we do, right? It's pretty simple stuff. Right. A lot of them actually aren't even done by the, not really done by the graphic designer. They just find a stock image, right? Like that's the featured image and that's all they do. The ones where they really do any designing is on podcast episodes. And we do a lot of success story written interviews, right? Call that three a week. That's really where they need to do any design skills. And that's super minimal. Like I could do it, right? Like it's just, it's in Canva. We have a template. All they do is crop out a picture of a person, they put it on the template and hit save, right? So it's a 10 minute job maybe for the, uh, for the blog post. So it's pretty minor. Yeah. Canva is amazing. That kind of stuff would take a little bit longer in the past. Like when you first got started, you'd have to get Photoshop and getting rid of backgrounds used to be like, I mean, it would be kind of time consuming now. It's just a click of a button. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So it's pretty minimal. So even though it's, uh, that's, even though it's like the graphic designer step like he does a lot more for me he you know he's a va that that does most of his time is not spent doing graphic design so you talked about restructuring the content you kind of have a spreadsheet of all these keywords the writers are publishing new things did you carefully sculpt your content clusters or silos or you know, topical clusters, however you want to, you know, put the term mm -hmm. on it. How did you treat that? And what I assume Link Whisper played a big role in that. So can you just talk about that whole process? Yeah. So I started with, uh, like I said, I exported all the articles on the site. I actually used an export plugin that, that exported them with categories. I don't remember the name. That was one question a lot of people asked on a YouTube video that I recently published. Don't remember the name of the export plugin, but I'm sure there's lots out there that gave me a list of all the articles on the site and the category they were in. And that allowed me to sort of start my clustering process. And then I manually went through about the 800 posts that I had before, you know, last year and grouped them into clusters, right? So if I had a cluster of articles about drop shipping, I saw the articles that I had and did a little bit of keyword research to figure out what I was missing right? To, to either be targeting keywords that were just needed, whether or not there was any search volume or keywords that had a lot of search volume that I was missing, right? And so I did create a content plan before I started publishing anything in terms of these are the silos, the clusters, whatever you want to call them that are needed in the gaps that I'm missing. And then the idea is as we write those articles, each article would have an internal link pointing to that main um, pillar article and a pillar article would then, you know, point potentially down to the other articles in the same cluster. And uh, so that was a part of the plan. Definitely use Link Whisper a lot throughout the process. Every article that was published, that was a step in the process to make sure that authors built one or two internal links, you know, two other related articles, hopefully in the same cluster. I'm not as strict as some people where they say, hey, you can only link to articles that are in this, you know, drop shipping cluster. We just do our best, right? So we link to related articles and uh, Link Whisper made that a lot easier to do. And then as I already mentioned, after the article was published, 
we'd build an internal link back to that new article that was just published. And just to confirm, so do you believe that the strict link structure for a proper silo or content cluster is not as effective or maybe it has diminishing ROIs? What's your stance? Because I don't really know. I haven't done any like experiments specifically. Yeah. Neither have I. I. That's just never been the way that I've done it, right? I've never, I just figure what makes sense for humans and for Google, right? Like it's if you're mentioning a related article and it just happens to be not in your, whatever your self-defined cluster is, I link to it. So I, that's never been a concern or a worry for me. Okay. That makes sense. And it gives you a little more flexibility because, you know, you may see, or whoever's writing it may see like, a pretty nice connection where if someone is interested in that sentence, which maybe is a little bit out of place for the whole topic of the whole content, then maybe that link does make sense. So I like it. Exactly. All right. Anything else content-wise with the site that we didn't cover? Just that we published a lot of content. You know, it was a big, big plan kind of going all in terms of, yeah, just publishing a ton of content. And also following Google's lead in terms of figuring out what to target next, right? So I would publish a few articles or, you know, published articles for a couple of months. I'd start to look at the results and say, oh, you know, Google's starting to rank me for this type of keyword. So next month or the next couple of months, we're going to double down on that type of keyword phrase. And so we did a lot of that throughout the year, sort of following Google's lead, publishing more content is clearly gaining traction. But other than that, yeah, that that pretty much covers the content process. Any mistakes along the way? Any issues? Yeah, lots of mistakes. Keep keeping authors around maybe a little too long. You know, don't, I shouldn't have been afraid to fire authors when they don't do a good job on a couple of articles because there are great authors out there. And so there definitely was a few times where I kept authors around for too long. And so I ended up with, you know, 10 or 20 articles that are kind of subpar when I should have just let them go after one or two subpar articles. So that was maybe the biggest mistake, right? Because now we have to go back and update all that content. But there was a lot of, you know, kind of tweaking of the process early in the year, you know, as we made little mistakes. And a lot of what I call mistakes are just things that required my time. We led into the interview, you know, I really don't work that many hours. And so anytime, I was getting questions or I had to get sucked into the process. I had to take a step back and go, okay, is this really a business that can run without me? And how can I make it run without me? And so there was a lot of tweaking of the process in the first few months until where at this point, like, like I said, I'm really not involved in the pro. I don't hit publish. I don't, you know, I'm not doing any of that anymore. Cool. Did you have a like a process or interval to fix those mistakes where your interaction was required, which you don't want, or did you know, wait for them to arise and then you realize, hey, we need to figure out something different here? Yeah, I mean, I started off with the best process that I thought would work, you know, where I wouldn't have to be as involved. But I think I just sort of rolled with the punches as they came, right? So as something pulled me into the process, I would then sit down. I'd like to say immediately, but sometimes it was like after a month of me 
answering the same question or something like, okay, we need to change this process. This isn't working. So just kind of learning as I went and changing as I went when I saw the problems. Okay. And do you have a specific process to go back and fix those articles that the writers didn't do a good job on? Is that part of the SOPs as well? The content update process is a little bit, it's, you know, call it a few times a year is what I do is I go in and I pull the articles that I think need to be updated by looking at the data. Like I said, you know, I look at Google search console, I look at traffic numbers and those things that I feel like need to get updated. I might pull, you know, here's 50 articles that we want to update over the next few months. Right. And I'll plop those in a spreadsheet. And then three or four months later, I'll go in and, and do that process again. Once the content update process starts, I do have a separate SOP specifically for content updates for the writers to follow. But as far as picking which articles, it's pretty much whatever I feel like I want to update. Okay. Got it. Okay. And then final question around that area, which is you said you keep writers around a little too long, I think, because you're a nice guy, but, but you're getting meaner is what it sounds like. So do you have a, pro- <laughs> do you have a process to, we'll just say, take care of that faster? Just being more rigid in the testing is what I've learned, right? So we put out a job request. You do your best to find what you think are good authors based on their samples or whatever, you know, they provide. We always give a test article and they write a live article, right? That will get published on Niche Pursuits. And it's a paid test article, but I just get really strict at that first article, right? In the past, I'd be like, "Eh, pretty good. And they're cheap. So sure, let's let them, you know, now it's just like, nah, you're done. We'll find a different author, right? If any red flags get raised in that test article. Okay. Got it. And then I guess you get feedback from your editor too. So you like, Hey, this is like strike three or something. Yeah. And uh, I do weekly calls with my senior editor, right? And we talk through this whole process as well. I should mention that, right? So those issues come up, right? Like this author is not doing a good job or this author is, hasn't written for a long time or anything else that comes up in that whole process. We sit down every week and we chat about it and make changes as needed. Let's talk about link building. So we haven't talked about it so far. And I mean, links help. Google seems to like those links, even though they say they don't want us to build links. But what process, what impact did links have in this whole last year of publishing a thousand articles, over 500% increase in traffic? And all well, that? I didn't build any manual links. I didn't go out and build any links. I didn't put any time, effort, or money into building any links. My site attracted a ton of links, right? That happens naturally. People can look at Ahrefs to see how many links I'm getting every month and just know that I put zero effort into getting any of those links. I can do that because my site is 12 years old. It has a domain authority of I don't know, 72 or something. So it's already a very authoritative. A lot of people see it already. I have a big email list. So if I email out my articles, just so happens that there's a lot of bloggers on my email list, they might reference. I don't think a lot of links come from that, but just in general, my site will tend to rank quicker for certain keywords than a brand new site. And a site that ranks well in Google gets more links, right? So it's kind of, I'm at this point where I've hit this tipping point where I just really need to produce lots of content. So I could go back and there's an argument to be made that some of my articles that are on the second page are lower. 
sure, they would probably rank better if I built links, but I've got a great content process. It's working. It's growing. I attract tons of natural links. I'm not a great link builder. Never have been. Not really ever been one of my things. And so I just didn't do it. Okay. So, so as a kind of devil's advocate type question, you know, you just mentioned, you know, it's an older blog. You have a, a very authoritative background. You have great links from, you know, big sites. A lot of people know who you are. You have the email list. Let's say someone has a blog that's not necessarily brand new, but let's say it's four to six years old and maybe has a DR that's say like 30 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like what can people learn? Like, is this an example of a site that probably could have done just about anything and like succeeded? What can we glean from this exactly if you want to, if you could like distill it down to make it more universal? You know, it really varies on the niche, right? Because I'm in an extremely competitive niche, right? Like maybe the most competitive, right? Like it's, you try to rank for anything blogging or SEO related, right? Like you're going to go against the top bloggers and SEOs in the world, right? And so, so I've sort of sidestepped that a little bit where I write more about side hustles and other online income ventures, right? Just because even at a, DR72, like I can't rank for blogging in SEO terms. I can't, right? So how can this be applied is that it varies on the niche. So a DR of 30 might be amazing for your niche that you're in. And you might just be holding yourself back by not publishing more content. You don't need links, right? Publish more content. So I would look at your competitors. What sort of DR do they have? How many links do they have? Try to figure out, do you really need more links? Typically a new site does need to do some sort of marketing or slash link building. I really like to call it marketing where you're just reaching out, getting on other people's podcasts or, you know, doing things that are interesting, getting, connecting with other bloggers in your industry and building true relationships instead of, you know, just whatever the latest link building fad is of the day. So it really varies, but I've seen a lot of success stories and close friends that I know, even with newer sites or low domain authority sites that they just buckle down and produce a ton of content and their sites take off, right? So I'll let people decide for themselves what's appropriate for their site. Just know that I'm a much bigger fan of publishing more content than building more links. Awesome. That's a good answer. Like you said, the marketing niche is uh, filled with marketers. (laughs) So it's pretty tough and it's such a profitable, um, like content area, whether it's, you know, display ads or affiliate income, it's so profitable. There's a ton of competition. So, yeah. Well, in speaking as we were wrapping up here, so you put ads on your site, which is kind of new, especially with, did you say Mediavine? So did you have any concerns on putting ads on your site as far as a user experience or anything like that? Yeah, I, I had concerns and, uh, you know, Mediavine does a good job, and I guess any ad network does a good job about let, letting you customize, right? So, like, nothing is showing, like, right above the fold when you first land on the page or, you know, customizing that. So, I've done some of that. I need to go through and remove some ads from certain pages. Like I said, it's only been on a month, so I'm just kind of testing things out. So, 
So I'm going to remove some ads from some of my higher earning pages, you know, in terms of affiliate income. But at the end of the day, I just got to look at it like a business, right? Like what's best for the business and uh, look at those stats. Have I seen any fall off from number of visitors or people, you know, coming to the site? No, not yet. And so the numbers are telling me that uh, there isn't any user concerns just yet. And I, and not a single person, I don't think, Niche Pursuits Reader has emailed me and even mentioned ads. Not a single person. So to me, that's like a thumbs up of like, nobody cares. Yeah, we're used to it now. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what's coming up for 2023 and beyond? Are you going to keep pushing? Do you have another like reach goal that you're looking at? Yeah, keep pushing for sure. Lots of content. Uh, probably not going to shoot for a thousand articles, right? But it's still... I suspect we'll be in the 50 to 60 articles range that we'll be publishing. So it's a lot of content, a couple articles a day. I'm going to be focusing more on YouTube to do hopefully some interesting videos so people can check out my channel there. And then finally, the big focus is email. Email has always been a big focus, but I really want to dial in to get more opt. I've got all this traffic on my site. How can I capture more email leads more effectively? Right. And so I'm going to put a lot of effort there getting more incentive offers, whatever you want to call it. Want people on that email list. They're super valuable. Awesome. And I'll ask one, one final question, which could be a whole episode, but I just like everyone's talking chat GPT and I think it'll mm-hmm. still be a thing by the time this episode comes out in a couple of weeks. So yeah, chat GPT, have you played around with it very much? Yeah, I've played around with it. You know, like everybody, I've definitely kind of seen what it can do. It's impressive. It's an impressive tool. Cool. Yeah, I've been resistant for the AI tools, but ChatGPT has been cool. I've been impressed as well. And using it not to produce content specifically, but a lot of related activities, a lot of sort of, you know, in air quotes, like grunt work where it can type faster than me. I'm not a fast typer. Like there's a handful of things where I'm realizing, hey, this could be really useful. So did you have any use cases where you were like, this is actually pretty effective? Yeah. So my thoughts right now, it's early for everybody, right? But I personally wouldn't use it for like producing blog content. Like I would definitely stay away from that. There's a lot of talk of, you know, open AI is going to be able to watermark the content. And so Google knows it's AI content, vice versa, right? So there's a lot of talk of that. So you could be shooting yourself in the foot in that regard. But Chat GPT has been great about suggesting like titles, you know, titles to articles right? If you're trying to brainstorm what's a catchy title or like YouTube titles, maybe even social media content to an extent, right? Like come up with a list of 10 tools that do X, Y, Z. It can spit it out for you real quick and then you can make it sound really great, right? So a lot of brainstorming, chat GPT can help, maybe some social media content, but I would stay away from anything where you're trying to rank in Google. Personally, I wouldn't be using that type of content just yet. Perfect. Spencer, this has been great. We'll link up to all the places, but where should people find you? Ah, uh, the best place, nichepursuits.com. Go there. That's the hub for everything. If they want to check out Link Whisper, linkwhisper.com. I've been pretty active on Twitter. So my handle there is niche pursuits. So twitter.com slash niche pursuits, I think. They can I that's more of my sort of stream of consciousness, just typing out whatever thought I have. And then YouTube. Like over to you know my YouTube channel. I'll be doing a little bit more there. Cool. Yeah, we'll link up to all this stuff, especially YouTube. I checked out some of your recent videos. I like what you're doing. So I'm excited to see more from you. Yeah.
No, it should be a lot of fun. It's great to talk with you, Doug. Good to come back on the show, connect and uh, chat content and growth. Uh, Hopefully listeners have enjoyed it. All right. Thanks, man. We'll have to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. 